0: Good morning. Hey, I hear a familiar voice back there. How's it going? Hey, we're glad that you're here, and we're glad that you're joining us online, and I'm really glad to hear that everybody's awake. That's right. Show of hands, who has had their coffee today? All right. Okay. Uh, Show of of hands, who has not had coffee today? All right. Yeah. Yeah. The no coffee crew is here. Okay, well, that's good. Well, whoa, who doesn't need coffee? That's right. You know, it reminds me of a mug that I've seen. All I need is a little bit of coffee and a whole lot of Jesus, right? Yeah, everybody's seen that. Everybody's seen that. Well, today, I'm glad that you're here and that you're with us because we're talking about spiritual awakening, right? So, everybody's hopefully awake this morning as we are continuing our series Emerge, right? We've been sitting in this series for a while, and we're looking at the story of Nehemiah and his leadership of the Israelites as they pursue rebuilding the wall. Um, We've been exploring this theme and this idea of emerging better and stronger from the rubble of our lives just like we can see the israelites and nehemiah doing from the rubble of the wall rebuilding it stronger and better you know this past year has probably been filled with a ton of distractions for you right i'm sure i'm not the only one who's felt distracted or even discouraged in this past year but there is hope there's a you know a glimmer of of hope at the end of the tunnel here as we look at Um, you know, restrictions in some of these things beginning to be loosened and lifted, and also looking at a better trajectory of uh, this whole COVID situation. But for some of us, this past year has been really tough, right? It almost feels like Groundhog's Day. With the whole working from home thing, it's like you wake up, you sit there, you drink your coffee, you hop on Zoom, you do a couple of meetings, you eat lunch, you do all this stuff, but it just it's kind of been dreadful in that sense for some and for others. It's been dreadful because it's brought a lot of uncertainty, and it's shaken our lives, and it's disrupted what we've done normally. You know, for me personally, this past year has been a whirlwind. It's been filled with a lot of things like stress and transitions and uh, loss and burnout and exhaustion, things like just being physically and mentally exhausted. I don't know about you. Maybe you've experienced that as well. You know, for me, it kind of feels like, and it reminds me of, because just to give you a little peek behind the veil in my house, uh, if you've not seen, we have three beautiful daughters. Malia is seven, Iris is five, and Helena is three. By the way, Helena is uh, She-Hulk right now. She's very strong strong. And she's three. She's dealing with a lot of these things. But if telling you their ages doesn't indicate anything, let me tell you exactly what it means. We are seven years sleep deprived. (laughs) Seven years sleep deprived. But this whole process has kind of reminded me of what it's like when we're adapting to a newborn in our lives and in our house, right? It's this beautiful thing because I love my wife so much and we've brought a child or three into the house. You can laugh. It's okay, Lauren. It's okay. You can laugh at this. But with bringing in a new child, that means that things are disrupted. Your normal systems and patterns and all that stuff is turned upside down because of this little person who demands all of this attention from you because you help them live. So what does that look like? That means that you're cleaning bottles and changing diapers and swaddling and you're you know not sleeping a whole lot and there's tears because you're not sleeping a whole lot. And you're trying to, in the midst of all of this, Remember why you're doing all of these things, right? You're doing it because this tiny person who was brought into the world relies on you solely for them to be able to live. And so in some of our mindless shuffling, we can forget the reason why we are doing what we are doing. You know, I, I don't know about you, maybe uh, with thinking about sleepless nights or just coasting on autopilot. Any of you guilty of going through the motions and just cruising on autopilot? All right, thank you. There's probably a lot more hands that should be up, but that's okay. Uh, But just thinking about autopilot, you put in a long day at work, and you hop in your car, you turn on the engine, And about 30 minutes later, you don't know how, but you just pulled into your driveway and there's nothing wrong with your car. You got there unscathed, right? And you're just kind of coasting on autopilot. In the same way, like, you know, maybe you've traveled long distances, done, you know, long road trips. We just got back from a family vacation and there were some late nights when we're driving. So what happens when you become sort of asleep at the wheel, right? You might have cruise control on, but you start veering off course and you hit the rumble strip, right? And if that doesn't wake you up, you might, you know, hit the guardrail a little bit, right? I'm not the only one. Okay, but you you hit the guardrail, and hopefully that gets you back on course because those guardrails are there for a very specific purpose to keep you safe. Honestly, they're there to keep you safe so your vehicle doesn't go into the ditch or some of those things. But You know, if if we're not careful, we can allow autopilot to creep into all parts of our lives. Right? Right? Okay. So it makes, it can all of a sudden make these everyday moments seem mundane. And we start to neglect the commitments that we've made to God and to other people. Right? You think about your job. You think about the gifts that God has given each of you. And all of a sudden, you start this brand new career and you had tons of passion. And now your job has just become a paycheck or a means to an end. Or you think about the vows that you made to your spouse. I love you, by the way. Uh, but you think about those vows that you made before God and before friends and family and that commitment. And maybe that fire that was once there, that passion that was once there is lost. Maybe it's lost because of dirt diapers or other things, but if we're not careful, we can allow apathy and these types of things to set in and put us in cruise control because we're not being intentional about our actions. So, y'all raised your hands to talk about autopilot. And where you may or may not be experiencing this, but I want to challenge us today to be cautious of allowing autopilot to creep in to our lives spiritually, right? Like our relationships and work aren't the only two places that are in danger of being asleep at the wheel. If we allow autopilot to creep in, right, out of um, neglect or apathy, what we do each and every week when we come together to celebrate what God has done, not only in our lives but in the world, what we do here is less special. You know, we, we forget, we neglect to remember the commitment and the ultimate sacrifice that God had made through Christ. And so I want to challenge us today as we get ready to dig into God's word to be thinking about maybe the areas that you might be spiritually asleep in and also beyond that. These areas of your life where you might be asleep at the wheel and you need to be awakened again. So as we get ready to dig into God's word, I want to take a moment and I want to center our hearts and our minds. So would you Join me in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are just so thankful that we have this opportunity to come together, whether it's in person or whether it's online, to be able to worship you and to hear from you today. So God, would you speak to us afresh? Would you give us ears to hear your words today? Would you give us eyes to see you more clearly? And God, I pray for our hearts that our hearts would not be hardened by um, distractions, by busyness, by apathy, by neglect, but instead, God, that our hearts would be softened in fertile ground where your word can take root and help us to live a transformed life. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen, amen. So these past few weeks, we've been digging into the story of Nehemiah. And all of this really is birthed out of brokenness. We see in the very beginning of Nehemiah that he has this vision that's given to him to help rebuild the wall and lead God's people in the rebuilding process. But he's literally weeping about this. And so he's trying to get God's attention. He's crying out to him, Oh Lord, hear my prayers. And that's such a difficult place to be in. But that brokenness is what is the catalyst for everything that we've been studying over these past several weeks, right? Because these walls have been broken down, they're not bringing honor to God. They're not bringing honor to God in the state that they are currently in or that they've been in. But not just that, it it becomes difficult because it leaves the city vulnerable to attack. And then we've also seen, prior to Nehemiah, the persecution, and how God's people have been scattered throughout this time. And so it's really challenging for them to, uh, to get accustomed to this. And yet we see this struggle that Nehemiah and the Israelites have faced, not just leading to this moment, but even while they are building the wall, they face opposition and conflict. Nearly everyone pitched in Right? So at the beginning of this entire process, they commit the work to God. And they're saying, You know, God, we want to build this foundation, but we want to build this foundation for the wall upon you. And so they do that. And everybody's coming out and they're linking arms and they're working on their part of the wall. They're doing their part to help strengthen and fortify the walls of this city. And they're, you know, we're we're talking about people of all ages, men, women, sons, daughters, everybody's coming out nearly, everybody is doing their part. And even when the enemies and opposing forces try to thwart their efforts, we saw last week, right, how we can regain our focus and continue to finish the work that's before us. So pop quiz, I want to make sure that everybody's been paying attention because I know it's easy sometimes for us to just kind of Hunker down. But last week, when we're talking about being confronted with criticism, what can you do? You can either allow it to derail you, right? Or you can prevail over it. I just want to make sure if people are awake and taking notes this morning. But we looked at that last week, and so this week, as we're digging into despite the adversity. Right, God's people finished this wall, and it was a very long process. At the end of Nehemiah 6, we see that it's about 52 days to complete this entire process. So if any of you have seen what it takes to build a house or a deck or anything else, 52 days is a pretty good chunk of time. But I want to encourage you, if you have your Bible with you or your phone, uh, or if you're online, you know you can hop over to like BibleGateway.com. But uh, we're going to look at the foundation for our time this morning is found in Nehemiah 8. So if you've got that with you, go ahead and open up. Um, And the heading in my Bible reads, Ezra reads the law. So starting in verse 1, in October, when the Israelites had settled in their towns, all the people assembled with a unified purpose at the square just inside the water gate. They asked Ezra the scribe to bring out the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given for Israel to obey. So on October 8th, Ezra, the priest, brought the book of the law before the assembly, which included the men and women and all the children old enough to understand. He faced the square just inside the water gate from early morning until noon and read aloud to everyone who could understand all the people, listened closely to the book of the law. Ezra stood on the platform. I'm hopping down to verse 5 here. Ezra stood on the platform in full view of the people, and when they saw him open the book, they all rose to their feet. Then Ezra praised the Lord, the great God, and all the people chanted, Amen, Amen, as they lifted their hands. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. So in this moment, right, we we get a glimpse into this path to spiritual awakening, right? Right? they are hearing the word of God from Ezra, the scribe and priest. He's sharing from the word. And all those who were old enough to hear and to understand, right? So we're, we're talking men and women and being over a certain age, they were able to help understand or they were able to understand what was being shared with them. So in this, we see that the word of God moves God's people to respond. Right? The Israelites, as they hear this, even before they hear it, the book is being opened and they stand to their feet. You know, just like when Mark was praying for us, you know, we were encouraged to stand as we were praying. But they are standing in response to what is about to happen, and they're hearing what has happened, and so they're worshiping, right? And they're raising their hands and they're saying "Amen," and they're worshiping with their faces to the ground. And, you know, if we continue, we see that they were mourning, that they were weeping. And we don't know exactly why they were mourning or weeping. But maybe it was because of their response personally when they were feeling God stir something within them. Um, You know, when we think of times like that, God often will move through his Holy Spirit and help us to see areas where we need to put our focus and our attention on intentionally. And so maybe they were weeping out of the gravity of their own sin, right? And when we think of sin, these are actions that we, uh, that we do that don't bring honor to God. And there's really two different types of sin. There's sins of commission, right? So these are things that throughout the process that maybe they did that was not bringing honor to God, and then we think about sins of omission, things that we neglect to do, right? Neglected to do these things. So you've got these two different types of sin that are there. But you know, this really, like in this passage, this is the first time since the start of the building of the wall that we see them responding to God's word in some way, right? They're standing to their feet, they're worshiping, they're bowing down, faces to the ground. But it does make me question you know, along this process, where we are now, right, picking it up in Nehemiah 8, from Nehemiah 1 to now, did they lose track of that commitment that they made at the very beginning, right? In all their busyness, in all of the adversity, in all of the conflict, in all of the doing, did they forget why they started what they started? You know, this vision that was birthed out of brokenness, did they forget what God had placed in their hearts? Right to rebuild this wall, to bring honor to God. So Nehemiah and Ezra and the Levites, as we continue in chapter nine, you know they're helping God's people understand what they're hearing in this time, and people are continued to move. Right, they're they're, they're continued to to move in response to what they've heard, and we see that they are taking time to meet again right at the end of eight nehemiah is saying hey don't weep don't cry we're going to celebrate it's the celebration of shelters and it was going to be a grand time for them to come together but in nine we see that they're meeting again but with a different purpose and a different attire they're wearing you know the, the typical attire of uh, like burlap something that you would be mourning in and they're covering themselves, and they're taking time to fast and to pray in addition to worship, but they're also taking time to confess these things that they were stirred by and moved by in response to hearing God's word. And then later in chapter 10, we see them go even further, and they make a vow together with each other in writing. So they're making this commitment to one another, and they're making it to God, and they're doing so in writing. So you see, when we are confronted with the truth, right, when we're confronted with the truth, we can't help but to respond. In other words, or put it a different way, brokenness leads to rebuilding, right? Brokenness can lead to rebuilding. God's people, once they heard his word, they were compelled to respond. They couldn't help it. They realized how far they've fallen from God's standard. And they wept. And they were awakened spiritually, and they started to take action based on that. So let me ask you, when was the last time you were broken by the word of God? And I'm not talking like you you read it and it's like, yeah, you know, I probably need to do that a little bit more. Like I'm talking you were wrecked. It rocked you to your core. I know I personally have had times where I've been reading in Scripture and I realize how far off I've been, how selfish I've been, how I've missed the mark. And I'm wondering if you've had those similar experiences. Or if you haven't, I want to ask would you consider yourself asleep behind the wheel spiritually? It can be a dangerous spot. Remember, talking about coming back from a road trip, you know, you fall asleep at the wheel, you hit those rumble strips, you hit the guardrails, and if that doesn't help, wake you back up and keep you back on the road and the way that you need to be going. You can end up in places that you didn't expect, right? You know, when we are going through our lives and forsaking the commitments that we've made to others before God, It's a dangerous place to be. It allows apathy and neglect to set into our lives. And those things can lead us to sinful behavior and sin. Sin can take us places that we don't want to be and keep us there longer than we should. And it's in that brokenness and it's in our sinfulness that we need to get out of cruise control, get out of autopilot, and get back on to the path that God has for us. You know, because we don't want to be drifting off course. And the reason why we would be drifting off course and the reason why we would be experiencing these types of difficulties when we're talking about spiritual autopilot is because our heart's not engaged in the process. Now, I'm not suggesting that autopilot is bad, right? Autopilot can get us places that we need to go, And it's okay. But sometimes if our heart's not in it, if our heart's not in it, then why are we doing that? So how can we re-engage our hearts in this? So when you're faced with a situation like this, I'm gonna encourage you with three simple things that you can act on. If you're taking notes on your phone, ACT is gonna be an acronym. I'm just gonna spell it out for you. But ACT, so A, right? When we are faced with the truth of God's word, We can acknowledge our behavior. We need to acknowledge our behavior, right? Just like the Israelites, when they were faced with the truth, when they were faced with the word of God, they acknowledged their behavior that compelled them to respond in a different way. They stood to their feet, they worshiped, they wept, they mourned, they confessed their sins, and they turned away. Once their eyes were opened, they began to live in a different way. That's where we start to see them pick up in in Nehemiah 9 and Nehemiah 10. They're getting back on course and they're making commitments to do just that. So in light of spending time with God, whether it's in prayer or in his word, can you personally acknowledge those shortcomings that you've had where you've fallen short of God's glorious standard? So once you acknowledge where you're off course, it's time to confess, right? When we acknowledge, when we think of uh, the Apostle Paul, you know he writes in his letter to the Romans, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. When we come to grips with how far we've fallen from God's standard, we realize that our response should be to confess to God how far we have fallen. And you know, we see in Nehemiah where they take the time. They're wearing the ceremonial attire and they're praying, they're fasting and they're confessing to God how they have fallen short. You know, you can do that if you'd like. You can fast. It's a spiritual practice where you're abstaining from food for a period of time to remind yourself of how much you depend on God but to simply be able to confess where you've fallen short. You don't have to use grand words to do that. It can be as simple as this. Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for the way that I responded to my child today. It doesn't reflect my love for them, and it doesn't reflect your love for them. Please forgive me, God, and help me to live in a different way. It could be as simple as something like that. You can adapt that for your own personal situations. But we are reminded that when we do confess to God, you know, 1 John 1 9 states that, but if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. And talking to God, again, doesn't have to be a very complicated process. So we can acknowledge our actions and our behaviors. We can confess to God and then turn away. Then we have to turn away. So when we talk about this word repentance, it literally means to turn away. Now, you might be thinking it's literally to turn around but it's really more of a mindset. It's an internal thing where we are turning away from our previous mindsets and our previous behaviors, and we are intentionally turning toward God in that time. And for some of us here today, we probably fall in one of two situations, right? So similar to the Israelites who've been on cruise control, we need to take the opportunity today, today, not tomorrow, today, right, to turn back to God, and maybe for some others who have never made the decision to follow God, today can be an opportunity where you can turn away from the old and turn toward God and pursue the amazing things that he has for you. And I gotta tell you, that is the good news about the good news, right? When we think of uh, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that all who would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. And when we trust in him, right, our sins are fully, freely, and forever forgiven. And that means, in that, right, that means that the bone-crushing weight of our sin, the things that are holding us back, the things that are taking our eyes off the road and somewhere else, that that has no power over you or me anymore. And that we have the ability, if we confess, that we can get back on track and get back on the path that God has set for us. So when we do trust in him, we can do just that. So for you today, I want to encourage you, this can be a new beginning. Whether you've been following God for a long time or you've not, today can be a new start for you, and there's no greater joy. There's no greater thing that you can do. It is literally the best decision that you can personally make by entering into a relationship with God's Son, Jesus Christ. And as God's people, I want to challenge you to be thinking about and imagine what it would look like when we are intentional about the things that we do, when we remember why we do them. Think about the impact that that can have on our communities. We're no longer sitting here grumbling because um, Fred was stapling something to our fence, and we take an offense. Father's Day is coming up in a couple weeks, so i got to get the dad jokes going. But we no longer are taking offense to those types of things, but we can actually have a richer relationship with the people around us that God has placed in our lives. And you think about the depth and the richness of the relationships that we have with one another, you know, to your left and to your right, or even within your own house. Think about those commitments that you had made to your spouse, to love them in sickness and in health, and how much easier that can be, right? Think about Father's Day again. We've got child dedication coming up. When we do child dedications, we are intentionally making a commitment to help those families who are up here in this very place say, hey, I wanna help raise your kids in a godly manner, right? And as the parents, they're making that commitment to raise their children in godly homes. Think about the impact that can have in our community. And when we think about the impact that has on the rest of the world, Right? I, I think of our church in so many ways and I'm very proud of the things that we do. I think of the fact that we've been intentional to invest in students' lives. And we see students who have gone through years, almost over a decade for some students, you know, through middle school and high school and college, who have been impacted in such a powerful way because of the intentionality, not just of, Pastoral leadership, but of leaders like you who are investing in their lives. And we see kids coming to Christ and lives being transformed. And we see them continue to go on and do amazing things through the power of God. And even as Mark had shared earlier, we had a fun run yesterday and it was a great time. And we were able to help raise funds to be able to support Grace Haven. These are individuals who are victims of child human trafficking, who don't have the resources to be able to do this on their own. And because of your faithfulness, because of your generosity, and because of your intentionality to be able to come out and to help host an event where families can come out and not just have fun, but be able to support these children, these victims, thank you. And that's an amazing thing, and you should take not just pride in that, but just be thanking God and the fact that you were a part of impacting these individuals' lives. You know, if we can pause and allow ourselves to come off of cruise control and autopilot and realize the commitments that we're making up front and not just get lost in the busyness and the hurrying and the rushing and the doing not getting lost in the groundhog's day of the whole work from home thing, but to actually remember why we are doing what we are doing and specifically as a church when we can remember that, it's a beautiful thing. And so for some of you that are here today, I wanna encourage you and I wanna take a moment and pray for you, but if you are here today and you are needing one of two things, one, if you need to get back on the path, I wanna pray for you and if you're online, I wanna pray for you too. But if you're here today and you've never accepted the free gift of Jesus Christ, I want to pray specifically for you. So would you bow your heads with me today and let's pray. If you are here and you need to get back on track, I want to take a moment and pray for you. So raise your hand if that is you. If you need to get back on track, you can raise your hand and it's a safe space. All our heads are bowed and we're going to pray if you're here, and you are tired of running on autopilot and you want to get back on track and you want to see what God has for you and you've never experienced the hope of a relationship with Jesus Christ, would you raise your hand? I want to pray for you too. Thank you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And we thank you for your word and what you have to say through Nehemiah and what we can learn from this entire situation and how you desire for us, God, to not just become complacent in the things that you've called us to do, but to be intentional and to be awake. And God, for those that had raised their hands and that are in this place and maybe even hesitating to raise their hand about getting back on track, God, I pray that you would remove any kind of shame that they might be experiencing today. And help them to realize that you love them and that you continue to go out of your way to make a way for them to get back on track. And God, for those that might be hesitant today to raise their hand and accept you as Lord and Savior of their life. And for those that have raised their hands, God, I pray and I want to encourage them to adopt these words as their own. But to just say, God, I am tired of doing this on my own. I'm tired of trying to do all of this out of my own strength and I'm tired of not being as intentional as I could. So would you help me? Would you forgive me of my sin? Would you help me to live in a different way, to live in a better way and to live for you? Father, I accept the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, as a sacrifice for my life. Thank you. Thank you. We love you. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.